Good morning. Uh, since this week was Thanksgiving, uh, I really appreciated everything we heard last week from the people thanking God for a new job, uh, that God had touched them physically. And I think one of the most important things is that we have a loving God who forgives us. And I am just so grateful for that.
Thank you, Gene. You know, the Bible is clear. It says that we are to be thankful in all things, for this is the will of God. God has always required that His people be thankful. It started all the way back with the establishment of the Jewish nation. The Jews were always required to celebrate their harvest, the harvest that God would give to them. And after they celebrated that harvest, they were to bring a portion to God. The Bible says they were to take of those first fruits and bring those to God and in that way thank God for what God has provided. We read in the book of Deuteronomy, if you turn there please, all the way back to uh, the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 26, we read of the first fruits, and I believe there are several lessons that we can learn as we look at this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 26, follow along as I read. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produced from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling place for his name. And say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wanderer, a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. I want to look at three lessons from this text. Lessons from the first fruits. The first lesson is on deliverance. The first lesson is that of deliverance. In verse 8, it says, So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. These 
Israelites, these Jews, were to be thankful for the fact that God has delivered their forefathers from Egypt into the promised land, into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. You see, they were farmers, and they produced crops. And when these crops would grow, and they would bring in the harvest, they were to take the first fruits, the first crops that grew, and bring them to the priest. They were to put those in a little basket. They were to bring those to the priest. The Bible says the priest then would put them before the altar, and then they would make a declaration. And the declaration was, we are thankful (coughs) that you, God, you have brought our forefathers out of Egypt and into this land flowing with milk and honey. It was a declaration of gratitude for what God has done. God has delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and brought them into the promised land. So one of the lessons of the first fruits is a lesson on deliverance, that God has delivered them out of slavery and brought them into the promised land. I would like to read a section in Luke's Gospel. If you turn to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, we have a story of a group of men who had a terrible disease called leprosy. Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. These men, they needed delivered as the Jews needed delivered out of slavery in Egypt. These men needed delivered from the slavery of leprosy. Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, one of them, When he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I was reading a story of a, a lady who uh, decided on Black Friday of all times to go shopping. And she decides to go shopping and she goes to Walmart. Well, she was looking for a parking place and was in quite a bit of a hurry because she had to get home and make supper and lunch and all those things you have to do uh, through the course of the day. And as you can imagine, uh, there was no spots open at Walmart. And so she starts to pray. And she wasn't the kind that usually would come before God and ask for little things. But she really needed this parking spot right up close, right by the door. 
And to add something else to that story, it just started to rain. And so it was pouring. And so she says, God, if you could just do this for me, if you could somehow just open a spot right at the front door, and as she's circling the parking lot and turns and looks at the front row right by the door, she sees backup lights. Here's this driver who's starting to back out of the best space in the whole lot. He leaves, she pulls in, and she says, Oh God, a spot just opened, never mind. Why is it, why is it that we somehow, we forget to thank God? Why is it that we forget to thank God? God has done so much for us and on our behalf. And we oftentimes, we go about our business and we never come to the place where we acknowledge, oh, this came from God. Thank you. Here we have ten lepers. Ten lepers who needed deliverance. They needed healing. Ten men who came to Jesus knowing that apart from Jesus, there is no hope. There is no cure. This is leprosy. By the way, let me just read you a description of how someone described this horrific disease. A sickness that was one of the worst sicknesses and diseases in the history of the world. Leprosy is a disease that begins with little white spots appearing on the skin. These spots, they begin to harden and they turn from white to pink to brown and become very scaly. The sores then begin to spread all over the body. They would first afflict the face. Soon, uh, they begin to run all over the body. Then there's this foul odor, which others couldn't even stand to smell. Leprosy would begin to totally consume the body. The eyebrows would fall out. The hair would turn white. The person would, uh, would just rot away. Fingers would fall off. Toes of the, the toes of the feet would begin to fall off. And it lasted about nine years until the victim would collapse and finally just waste away. That's the condition of these men. These men who needed healed. They needed deliverance. They were men who were not able to even spend time with their family, with their friends. They were not able to live in society. They had their own little community outside the city where all the lepers would have to live. There was no hope. There was no cure. And so they come to Jesus one day and they cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. And Jesus doesn't say be healed. Jesus says go show yourselves to the priest. Now, if someone became cured of leprosy in this day, they had to be declared clean by the priest in order to go back and enter into society once again. And so Jesus says to these ten lepers, go show yourself to the priest. And it says, as they were going, they didn't even get there yet, but as they were going, they looked and discovered that they were healed, that they were cleansed. And then it says, only one 
stops, goes back, and says, thank you, Jesus. The others had forgotten and went on their way. Like the lady in the parking lot. Never mind, God, I feel better now. I won't be needing you right now. You know, I appreciated Gene's song because I think one of the great and wonderful things that God has done for us is he has delivered us out of slavery. Not the slavery of leprosy, not the slavery that we often think of, but the Bible speaks of sin as being in slavery, that we are slaves to sin. And the greatest need, as I've said oftentimes, the greatest need of mankind is the forgiveness of sins. Because man is a slave to sin. He's a slave to sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are in the condition similar to the lepers. It's a hopeless condition. There's, not, there's no cure uh, for, by human man. The only cure of the slavery of sin is through the blood of Jesus. It's only the blood of Jesus that brings about our deliverance. Man's greatest need is to be forgiven of their sins. There's a song that we often sing at this time of the year, thanks to God for my Redeemer. We ought to be thankful that we have been delivered from sin. We ought to be grateful to God that He has saved us because of His Son. The first lesson is that of deliverance. The second lesson is that of dependence. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 10, we read this. It says, And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. They recognized that God gave them a harvest, that God gave them the crops that they have in their hands. That God gave them these first fruits that they were bringing to the priest. That God had done all of that and that they were dependent on God. You know, I suppose farmers know that more so than the rest of us. That they are dependent upon God for their crops, for their harvest. They are dependent upon God to send rain and provide weather that brings forth the harvest. These Israelites, they recognized the fact as they were bringing the first fruits in their basket, bringing it to the priest, they recognized that we have this because we were given this by God himself. There's another passage I would invite you to turn to back in Matthew's gospel this time. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And I would like to read a couple of verses from this text, and I think you'll see why I've chosen this text to um, use as another lesson on dependence, that we are dependent on God for all things. We are dependent upon God for all things. Uh, the title in this text, uh, in my Bible, is The Yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 5 of Matthew 16. Now, when they went across the lake, 
the disciples, they forgot to take bread. Have you ever gone on a picnic? You ever went somewhere and you forgot to take your lunch? Um, they go across the lake. They forget to take their bread. And Jesus then says in verse 6, Now be careful, Jesus said to them, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves, and they said, Is it because we didn't bring bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls were gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I'm, I'm not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So here are the disciples now, and they, they come across the lake, the uh, Sea of Galilee, and when they get to the other side, they discover that they didn't bring anything to eat. And Jesus then says, now listen, men, you need to be careful. You need to be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, you know, think about the disciples for a minute. Put yourself in their shoes. You just forgot bread. Jesus is talking about yeast. You would take that literally, <laughs> right? You would take that literally. And that's what they did. They said, well, Jesus must have said that so that we don't take or accept any bread from the Pharisees or Sadducees. We don't have bread, but maybe the Pharisees and Sadducees, they might offer us some bread, and Jesus is cautioning, uh, cautioning us against doing that. And then Jesus, he talks about feeding of the 5,000, then the feeding of the 4,000, how he was able to take a little boy's lunch and provide so much more. Back in Mark chapter 8, the parallel passage to this one, it says that uh, the disciples actually did have a little bread cake. It wasn't that they didn't have anything, but they had this little bread cake. And here's the bottom line, I believe, in this text. The bottom line is this. The disciples were so concerned about the physical. They were so concerned about getting something to eat. They were so concerned about that. And they failed to grasp the deeper meaning of the words of Jesus. They failed to connect the dots. And so they took yeast and they took it literal. That's not what Jesus meant. We know, according to verse 12, the yeast, what he meant was the teachings of the Pharisees. The teachings of the Pharisees. The errors that they taught. The false teachings that come from their mouths. That's what they were to guard against. That's why they should have been cautious not to accept the teachings, not the bread of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they were so concerned about where are we going to get our next meal? And they failed to perceive the meaning of Jesus' words. They forgot that they're in the presence of the very one who took a little boy's lunch and fed thousands you see, they didn't understand 
that their physical needs could easily have been met by Jesus. They didn't quite get that they could really depend upon Jesus to meet all of their needs. We read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. That's a verse we ought to all grasp this time of year. That God is able to meet all of our needs according to his riches. And it's a spiritual issue because Jesus said in verse 8, you of little faith, here I am, Jesus said, here I am in your very presence. Here I am, the one who has done all of these miracles in your presence. And yet you still don't completely depend on me to be able to meet your physical needs. But my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's something to be thankful for. To know that God promises to meet our needs. The third lesson back in Deuteronomy chapter 26 is a lesson on delight. A lesson on delight. We read in verse 11, it says, You shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Rejoice in those things that God has given to you. God expects us to rejoice and be thankful for the blessings that he has given to us. Delight, rejoice in all these good things that God has given to you and your entire household. We're not going to turn again to the Gospels, but there are three parables that are taught by Jesus in Luke chapter 15. And you know the story, uh, stories. By the way, a parable is a story, right? A parable is a story that Jesus tells, a, an earthly story, as someone said, with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus doesn't just tell stories for the sake of telling stories. Jesus tells stories, but with a spiritual emphasis. And so he tells three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And we often read these and we enjoy them and we understand them to a certain degree. But have you ever, have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why these stories? Why did Jesus tell three stories back to back of three things that got lost? I've said it before and, and I'll say it again. Context in the Bible is so important. The context. If we were to turn to Luke chapter 15, do you know what's said in the very beginning of the chapter? There are Pharisees again, as we spoke here of Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees are again in the picture. And you know the relationship between the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus. Here's this new guy that came on the scene, the new kid on the block. And he's doing all of these teachings. He has this great following. 
And the Pharisees don't like that. The Pharisees don't like someone moving in in their territory. So they had no time for Jesus. They were always trying to trick him into doing something wrong. Of course, it never worked. But at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, the context is this. Jesus, the Bible says, would often eat with sinners. Jesus would often eat with tax collectors. Jesus would often eat with prostitutes. And it says at the beginning of chapter 15 that these Pharisees looked at Jesus and they thought, how in the world could this man who calls himself a teacher, who calls himself a prophet, sit down and eat with these notorious, evil, wicked people? How could he do that? And then Jesus tells these parables. <laughs> Three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Before I review these parables, you need to understand that the Pharisees wanted these sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes to burn in hell. Right? <laughs> they wanted these sinners to burn in hell. Now, with that in mind, Jesus says, oh, that one time there was a shepherd. A shepherd, he had a hundred sheep. A hundred. And, and one little guy, he wanders away, and he leaves the 99, and what does he do? He goes after the one sheep, and when he finds it, he lifts that sheep up onto his shoulders, and he brings it back home. He calls all the neighbors and friends to come home, and he says, let's rejoice together. I found my one sheep. And then we read that heaven rejoices, and all the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance, and not over all, and not over all those who do not come to repentance. Then there's a lost coin. A woman drops a coin, it rolls under a cabinet, and she looks frantically for this one coin. She had ten of them. Loses one. This story is similar to the first. She actually finds the coin, and she calls the neighbors, she calls the friends, and when all of them come, they rejoice because she found her lost coin. And then it's mentioned that uh, it's the same in heaven. Uh, heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to repentance. And then the lost son. The young son comes to dad one day and says, I don't like your rules. I don't like the regulations. I want to go and just live on my own. Give me some of the inheritance money. Dad says, fine, you want to go? You're not doing the right thing, but I'm going to let you go. He gives him some money. The young son goes. He squanders all of this money, remember? Spends it all. Finds himself in poverty. Decides to come back home because the servants of my dad have it better than I have it right now. Comes back to dad. And dad's waiting with open arms. And welcomes his son back into the family. Throws this huge party. And everybody's rejoicing. But there's a twist. There's a twist in the story. Because there's an older son. How does the older son feel 
about dad throwing a party for the young son, the prodigal son, gets pretty upset, doesn't he? He says, Dad, I've been with you all this time. You never threw a party for me like this. Why would you throw such a party like this for my younger brother? And Dad says, listen, he was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. Now here's the point. Here's the point. The forgiving love of that father, now listen, the forgiving love of that father is like the love that Jesus had for the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And the older brother's resentment against the love toward that younger brother is the attitude of the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted sinners to burn in hell much like the older brother wanted for his younger brother. And then at the end of the story, after the older brother says, but dad, he never did anything like this for me. And after dad says, yes, but your younger brother was lost and now he's found. He said, we, and I quote, verse 32, we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate, son. We had no choice but to rejoice and celebrate and be thankful that this one has returned. You see, what these parables show is God's love and God's forgiveness toward us. And that's another reason to be thankful, Gene. Thank you for your song. The forgiveness of God and that God should love us with a love beyond measure is something that we ought to be thankful for. These Jewish worshipers back in Deuteronomy chapter 26, um, they came to the priest, they came with their little baskets of first fruits, and they gave it to the priest. And as they did, they declared that our forefathers have been delivered. We have been delivered from the slavery of sin. That's something to be thankful for. And then they recognized the fact that they came into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. And as we bring these first fruits now to you, that soil, God, that you have prepared and the rains that you have sent, we're dependent upon that in order for our harvest and crops to grow. You know, we're dependent on God provide our needs and God has promised to do that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and then God requires that they rejoice and delight in all the good things that God has done on their behalf God has blessed you and God has blessed your household with so many good things that's a reason to be thankful we have this morning so many things to be thankful for. This closing song, uh, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Uh, it would be pretty hard to sit down and make a list of all the blessings that 
uh, God has given to us, but um, this song will help remind you of a few of the things, and uh, we're going to sing this as we close this morning. Hymn number 569. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you so much for your love, your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you to meet our every need. We thank you, Lord, that you have delivered us from sin. Lord, you have, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has, you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Lord, for that salvation, which is rich and free, Father, this morning we do thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing all four stanzas. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed. Hymn number 569. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done, count your blessings. thankful we're grateful for all the things that you've done for us Lord I pray that we might give back to you that we might serve you and love you Lord as you have loved us 
Father, we are grateful for the salvation that you've provided for us, which is free, costly to yourself, costly to your son, but Lord, to us, it's a free gift, and for that we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this 